0: All right, guys, welcome back to the Take a Warriors podcast. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to break down the World Cup draw, and we've got some really special guests to help us do it. Uh, Returning back from last time, we've got Albert Kim.
1: Great to be back, fellas. A lot's happened since then, and, you know, I just can't wait to just break down this draw we have. It's going to be a spicy, spicy tournament in the winter.
0: All right, and because of Albert's, you know, Chance to talk with BTL Vid and sort of get on their space. We've got Will Fowler from ESPN, a guy that cuts together highlights for Sports Center at night. Will, thanks for coming on.
2: I appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited for this. I uh, this is a cool podcast. We're talking about a cool topic. Like I can drop some USA propaganda, some men's national team propaganda, which I've been saying I'm going to. Like let's roll, fellas. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite.
0: All right, guys. Let's just let's get into it. Let's let's get started. Let's just. Run through the groups, say the teams that are qualified for the World Cup, and then sort of go from there. Mm. All right. In Group A, we've got Qatar, the hosts, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands coming back to the world stage. Um, In Group B, who do we got, Albert?
1: Group B, we got the English old fellows across the lake, uh, (laughs) the Iranians, Mm -hmm. uh, the, drumroll please, USMNT. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Led by Christian Pulisic. (laughs) And we have um, the last team in that group is not decided yet. It's going to be the winners of uh, UEFA Path A. I believe the teams in the mix at the moment right now are the Welsh, uh, Wales, Ukraine, or Scotland.
0: Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. All right, Will, I'm sorry I didn't let you do Group B. I'm going to let you do (laughs) Group C. That's all right. I'm over it. Uh, Group (laughs) C. Group C is a good one. We've got
2: Lionel Messi, the greatest player to ever grace sport uh in Argentina in Group C, joined by Robert Lewandowski and the perennial do nothings in international competitions Polish. Uh, Mexico, the consensus third best team in CONCACAF, coming from an American oh. fan in, oh. uh, in group C. Spiky. And and I've got no uh I've got no nothing special for Saudi Arabia. The the just happy to be there Saudi Arabians in Group <laughs> C.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right in group D, we have The world champions, France, with, I mean, the embarrassments of riches they have with Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann, you name it. Uh, The winners of the AFC and Comniball playoff, which is Asia versus South America, which will be either the United Arab Emirates or Australia versus Peru. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't really know who's going to come out of that one. Denmark with the amazing story of christian erickson back from really just a very harrowing experience on field and tunisia uh just like what you know what will just did there with group c uh we don't really know much about tunisia other than that they're there uh let's go to group e
1: group e we got spain who impressed heavily at the 2020 european championships making it all the way to the semi-finals Led by Luis Enrique. Uh, and the second uh, seeded team in that group is actually unknown because it's going to be the winner of the uh, CONCACAF OFC playoffs. I believe it's going to be either Costa Rica or New Zealand, uh, mm-hmm. the Kiwis. Uh, number three, uh, one of my favorite national teams of all time, although I have no German blood, uh, the German national team, uh, the DFB as we call it, led by Hansi Flick, the former Bayern Munich manager. And at number four, you have the Blue Samurais uh, Japan, who I believe just made it automatically by finishing second in their qualifying group uh, in Asia. Pretty uh, interesting group for sure. Yeah.
0: All right, well, Group F.
2: Group F, this, I don't mean to tease anything that we're talking about later, but Group F is one of my favorites in this entire competition. It's spearheaded by two European nations who we genuinely have no idea what to expect from Belgium and Croatia. Croatia, of course, finalists in a 2018 World Cup, um, and Belgium, the national team that's almost inexplicably been at the top of the FIFA ranking for no reason. I I mean, it was unbelievably over the top how long they were at the top of the ranking for they were recently unseated by brazil uh long in the making joined by the canadians who i'm very very excited to see in their first world cup in Mm -hmm. i believe 36 or 40 years yeah and uh, another sleepy good nation i think that could uh, surprise some people in morocco led by Sevilla's Youssef and nasiri who is a goal scoring machine Uh, but they've got some players as well so that's an exciting exciting group
0: all right group g is a good one as well Hmm. Uh, it's got brazil the top ranked nation in the world led by neymar serbia always feisty always hard to play against switzerland and cameroon who had probably one of the best playoff matches i've ever seen scoring twice yeah that was twice in like (laughs) extra time to get in there which was amazing so that's a really good group. I think that's going to be really tight, that group. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know
2: what's interesting about that group, too, is that Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland were all in the same group in 2018. So they're yes. just doing it all over again.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And I believe they were with Costa Rica, who is... Yes, they were. Who is up in, uh, in what, the, the France and Denmark group, who are in the same group, right? Or am I yeah. just... Spug- whatever. No, you're it's right.
1: A- and the French and the Danes also played each other in 2002 in that World Cup when the French right. crashed out. They have a history together. Yeah.
0: So... Should be neat. We'll see. All right, Albert. We're gonna let you introduce Group G. The la- uh, H, I believe. Oh, Group H. H? Group H. Yeah. yeah, my bad.
1: I think this is one of the most, the more unpredictable groups in the entire World Cup because you got uh, the European champs before the last one, the 2016 European champs in Portugal, led by an aging Cristiano Ronaldo. You got Ghana, who is making it back to the World Cup after missing out in 2018 um, in Russia. And you got the Uruguayans, who recently swapped out their longtime manager in Oscar Taberes, led by an aging also Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani. And finally, Taemin look, South Korea,
0: yes, in
1: uh, the fourth position right now, led by Paulo Bento, who's a former Portuguese player and uh, the Tottenham striker Son Heung-min.
0: Okay, so our mission for this podcast is we're definitely gonna go deep on the Group B and Group F, just because we are korea fans as well as united us fans but for now let's sort of just react to this um i don't really care who goes first but what do you guys think is the most exciting group in this in this world cup oh and i'll let you go
2: first you're on the podcast more frequently than i am
0: oh you sure no no i mean you're come on you
1: it's your first time so respect. Go.
2: Sure. I, I will tell you, I am in love with Group H, with with mm. Korea. I That group for me is—I think the big thing when the draw occurred, right, was everybody—there's no group of death. You look at all eight groups, and you can't pick one out that reminds you of Group F in last summer's Euros or— um, was there a group of death in 2018? I can't even remember if there was a World Cup group of death in 2018. But 2014, with Germany, Portugal, USA, and Ghana. That was the group of death, right, in 2014. Yeah. There isn't one this year. I look at Group A, Group H as quite the opposite. And I forget if I reference this in the BTL spaces. Group H, for me, is a group of life, not a group of death. And the reason why I call it that is because all four, nat- all four national teams in this group, Ghana, Portugal, Korea, and Uruguay, are all entering, I think— with with this draw thinking there's a legitimate chance that we can escape i think every single one of those teams are expecting to advance and that for me is a group of life a group that everybody looks at and says there's a way out for us um i look at at a team like portugal and, and this is a point that I've been trying to hammer home since the Euros. I don't know what it is. They don't tick for me. I, it, it, I don't know what the problem is with the Portuguese, uh, the Portugal national team. I had them in the final in the Euro uh last summer and they disappointed it just see there's something about the way they play in attack and obviously fernando santos is not the most beloved international coach um but there's something about the way they play that they just can't seem to turn on an extra gear we know that ronaldo and bruno fernandez um are not the the ideal attacking pairing we see it with portugal and we see it with manchester united as well um and then i look at a side like uruguay who were brilliant in comfortable qualifying and again yes are, are led by uh, luis suarez and edison cavani who are two aging strikers. But as far as we're concerned, they can still both do it. And they've got some young players as well who I'm really, really intrigued by. Names like uh, Ferry Valverde at, at Real Madrid. Names mm-hmm. like Rodrigo Bentancur, who yeah. is lighting it up for Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ronaldo Rajo is one of the underrated center backs in European football currently. So this is an exciting Uruguay side. Of course, you've got uh, Ghana, who have come through African qualifying, which I think is the most difficult confederation to qualify from, is Africa. Just the way that it's structured, you need to be nearly perfect to clinch mm-hmm. one of the five places. Yeah. And then you've got Korea, who maybe have the the best, if not a top three pure goal scorer in this entire group, and in, in Sun Hyung-min, who I'm sure we'll talk about at length when we, when we dissect this group a bit more thoroughly. <laughs> the big thing with competitions like this, especially in a group phase, is I think you need to have a player who you can look at and say, you're going to be the one to score the goals. You're going to be the one who, if we need you to late in the match, I trust you to take a chance. If you only get one, Um, there are teams that don't have that. They've got loads of creative ability. They're very structured and solid defensively, but they don't have that talismanic goal scorer. And a lot of times that ends up being their Achilles heel. Korea is not one of them because they've got that man who wears number seven on his back at Tottenham Hotspur, who Albert knows I, 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 die for that man is is like responsible for 70 percent of my happiness um but he's the man and he's somebody who who can win a match by himself for Korea. we saw him do it against germany in 2018 so a really really exciting group of four
0: okay i i really appreciate you picking group h um i am not gonna pick group h and i i really hope albert doesn't pick my group either so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna Mm -hmm. let albert go first and um, i'll end it off what's Um, your group
1: I think for me, looking at all these draws, um, definitely interesting. It's, for me, it's Group E. Um, and I hope that wasn't your group, was it? No, it no? wasn't. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, and the reason I say that is because um, as a fan, uh, especially of German football, yes, I follow the American team, I follow the Korean team, but I also follow the German team quite frequently. Um, one of the biggest uh, issues, I think, of their golden generation from 2010 to 2014 was the fact that their bogey team was essentially Spain. Uh, they could not beat uh, the possession-based teams based off Xavi, um, Andres, Iniesta, and in midfield. Um, in that 2010 World Cup, um, when we saw the likes of Mesut Ozil, Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, um, basically um, kind of debut on the international stage, I thought they had that World Cup one, especially after they demolished Maradona's Argentina 4-0 in the quarterfinals. They got to the semis against Spain, and they couldn't play, touch the ball all game. Uh, it happened again in the 2008 European Championship as well. I understand the cycle has changed and there's completely different players on both of these teams. But I do wonder uh, if Spain is going to continue to cause Germany problems, especially in the international tournaments and especially given the way they play. Watching the way Luis Enrique sets up the side, I see basically what uh, Del Bosque was doing uh, back when Spain was winning all their trophies. I think that's going to be one of probably one of the best group matches um, in the early parts of the tournament with Germany and Mm -hmm. Spain, especially because I think the Germans have a competent manager now. Um, And I think, honestly, you know, a lot of people are underlooking this Japanese team. I don't think they're going to make it to the next round, but they do have some talent there with Minamino and some other uh, decent Japanese stars playing in the Bundesliga and also in the EPL. So I think this could be probably maybe one of the potentially highest scoring groups at this World Cup, especially considering the fact that these managers all play offensive attacking football.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's, that's I, I, kind of had an inkling in your mind that you might choose that because of your love for Germany but i'm really glad that you talked about like how how high scoring it could be how fun it could be because you're absolutely right spain versus germany is going to be amazing to watch Um, for me my group that i think is going to be really exciting is group f because i think it's going to be very close oh yes i think it's going to be very very close i think all these teams are very good Belgium is very, very good. Canada proved in qualifying. They were very, very good, and they're very, very young, very exciting, and also just incredibly fearless as a team. I think this is, like, it's just a generation of Canadian players that have this, like, never-say-die attitude. They just really believe that they can, you know, beat anybody. So it's obviously their first time being at the World Cup in 36 years. I don't think they're going to be scared of the stage at all, so I think they're going to be very good croatia is the past finalist and we know that they're aging a little bit but they are still really solid very well coached obviously and just they have a a solid defense they always have a decent defense they always have a good midfield i i think that's that's a really good team as well morocco also very very good i just think it's close i don't know who's going to win this group i don't know who's going to finish second in this group and i don't know who's going to disappoint in this group either. And that's why i think it's going to be the most exciting one
2: what's interesting about group f is that it's one of the only groups and i think even more so than group A, where you can i think make a legitimate case for all four to finish at the top and you can make a legitimate case for all four to finish at the bottom and so i fully agree i think group f is going to be thrilling
1: i agree with will 100 this is a pickem. you can literally put these names in a hat pull one of them out and that could literally be potentially a group winner remember people discounting Morocco that team was actually supposed to be a lot better in Russia and they really Mm -hmm. underperformed they might be angry this time and to prove that they want to be back on the world stage
2: they got unlucky because they were stuck in a group with Spain and Portugal and they were kicked to the curb before the tournament even began and then they only didn't go through one goal difference right yeah they
1: They took Spain to the last minute I think Aspas had that last second winner so this Moroccan team is I think they're going to be ready they're legit yeah yeah
0: Okay, let's sort of like flip the coin the other way. Uh, when I first wrote this outline, I was like least exciting group, but then I was like, that's not a really good thing to say about the World <laughs> Cup because everything <laughs> at the World Cup is exciting. Yeah. But I think we could maybe say, what's the easiest to predict group? What's the group where you just look at it and you're like, oh, I know who's coming out of this group and I know who's going to struggle in this group. Yeah. Do you guys have anyone that you could pick on that? It's a good question. I,
2: I there, there's two that I think I can fairly comfortably predict maybe three but i'll I'll stick with two and i think for me they're group c and group d um for c i can pretty confidently say that argentina and mexico will advance i just for me poland sure they've got first of all no disrespect saudi arabia try get a point like that's (laughs) it's the claim a point challenge for saudi arabia at the world cup in, in november um but poland They've got this this brilliant goal scorer, this brilliant striker, but he's not new. He's not new to the national team. He's been there, and they've still yet to do anything of significance at a major international competition. So nothing is changing in terms of their their setup, their their tactics, their their key players. I haven't seen anything from Poland to think oh they can get through in a group where they're pretty convincingly the third best team in the group. I think Argentina are a lock to advance. And Mexico, it's been what, seven or eight consecutive group stage exits, uh, group stage advancements, should I say, for them? Mm-hmm. So um, I think Argentina and Mexico advancing from group C is pretty set in stone i think the better argument might be who finishes first because I, I think there might be a chance in which mexico maybe takes a point or maybe even three off of argentina and then you've got a really interesting conversation about who wins that group and gets to play second place in group d but i'm pretty confident with saying it's argentina and mexico and i'm not going to say my second group because i don't want to steal one of your answers
0: okay um for me i'm gonna say the easiest to predict group is group a Interesting. Wow. Wow, that's a hot take. That's the first one.
1: Well, who's coming out of that one?
0: I'm going to say that I think that Senegal and Netherlands will come out of that one. Mm. Okay. Mm. I think that, you know, I think Qatar will be a good host. I think they will be competitive in all their matches Mm -hmm. because they have been competitive in Asia for the past couple years, and they've really worked hard on improving their national team. Do I think that they're ready to contend at a World Cup and play strong in a group like this? I'm not sure that they're quite ready for that. Although I do think that they are on a path to become an Asian team that qualifies for the World Cup more frequently yeah. and maybe qualifies for it on their own merit next time. Um, I would say that for me I just think Sadio Mane and Senegal will come out and I think Netherlands have looked a lot better lately and I think they're sort of ready to just, you know, come out of the sort of swoon that they were in a little bit and I think that, yeah, those are my two. I think that I feel confident predicting that.
1: Yeah, you know, going back to Mike's point about uh, Group A, it's something I wish I'd brought up on Spaces when I um, recorded with Will a few weeks ago. Um, one thing I didn't mention is that this Qatari team, I know that friendlies don't matter a lot, but they have played a few friendlies against some not high level European mm-hmm. competition. I'd say decent level. They, I believe they played the Republic of Ireland, uh, Serbia, and maybe Portugal. And I remember. And they get results. Yeah, but I remember in those games against the European teams, they did get smacked. I believe they lost the Irish by a score of three or four zero um they they got smacked around in those uh friendly so I, I do wonder if they can even replicate that form on home soil uh maybe the climate will will play a part in it but i i would agree with mike in the sense that if i had to choose two right now it would be the senegal and the netherlands but qatar i think i said this on the on the uh breaking the line show earlier i think at best we can see maybe a south africa-esque performance where they have one win one draw and a loss and finish third in that group
2: yeah yeah it's fair i i I, I'm not going to sit and act as if I'm some Qatari football expert because I'm far from it. But I just—we've seen Qatar play at the Gold Cup. They were Gold Cup semi-finalists, and they yeah. gave the U.S. a tough, tough match. I think they needed a goal in the 88th minute to advance. Um, and to your point, Albert, they've scheduled friendlies with some middle-tier European nations, and they've gotten results from them. I believe they just took a point off Slovenia, who are not some big-time okay. European nation. But— um, but they 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 are a European nation. They have they have players. I think I'm I'm not going to make a cohesive argument for Qatar to advance out of Group A. But I do think that this is a side that might be getting slept on just a little bit. I think if. Um, I, I, let me know if, if you guys know a bit more about Qatar than I do, as people who probably follow Asian qualifying a bit more thoroughly than I do. But I know Qatar, they, they've got some players in the specifically who can play really, really uh-huh. well. Um and uh, i think ali Almoez ali and akram yeah. afif are are it's a really yeah. quality striker pairing they have i don't know i mean i was on my podcast a few days ago and they were like group a let's not even talk about it Qatar fourth and i was like pump the brakes i don't know about that like they might they might they might make some waves but that said i i, I agree with you michael i think that it's probably sending all other ones
0: yeah. okay albert which group did you go for uh, well, Will
1: was, took, took the first one I thought about. Was uh, immediately, I thought about the Argentinian group. Um, but, you know, I will say with that group, Group C, um, I've heard rumblings, especially in um, North America, about how a lot of Mexican fans are unhappy with Tata Martino and his uh, management style and how he might actually be gone before the World Cup. So maybe Mexico would get knocked out. But like Will said, I don't, I don't think Poland has enough besides Lewandowski. For me, unless Didier Deschamps, excuse my language, but poops his pants <laughs> at this tournament. I cannot see the French succumbing to the champion's curse. And what I like to do is what I like to um, look at past tournaments and see kind of a pattern as to why those previous champs got eliminated uh, in many cases for the French in 2002 is because of injuries to key players like Zidane. In this case with the French, even if they come down to the rash of injuries, they have so much talent on the bench that I can't see them not picking up at least six points in this group. Um, I think the Danes will give them a good fight. And I believe the Danish could potentially even win their match against the French. Um, But considering the other team that's going to be potentially placed in that group, it's either, um, I believe it's either going to be uh, what it's either going to AFC or Ball. Which one is it? It's either going to be, I'm trying to find which path winners are going to be in that group. Anyways. D would either be Australia, UAE or Peru. Yeah. I can't see any three of those teams getting results either. So For me, it's Group D, and I watched actually Tunisia's last um, qualifying match against Mali. Uh, They drew them 0-0, provided absolutely nothing in attack, even though they were at home. They did well to qualify from Africa, but I don't see them putting up a fight, and I see the French and the Danes finishing comfortably 1-2 in Group D.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that was another one that I thought about as being a little bit easy to predict. Yeah. All right, so let's just sort of like, let's get into the take so Let's... Let's talk about some hot takes. And I want to start this off because I think that this, this might be a take that a lot of you guys don't agree with because of mm. just what I've just even heard right now. So I'm going to say it. Uh, my hot take is this. Mexico will break their streak of advancing out of the group stage. They've done it since 1994. This So will be you the think first they don't do this? No. I think that they they will finish third in this group. I actually think that Poland have enough to... Eke out second place, I'll say. But what? Like, what is it that they have? Okay. Okay. Let's just sort of, like, talk a little bit about their roster. Mm. Okay. They have a great goalkeeper. Wojciech Szczesny is a great goalkeeper. He's very Big good. Big fan. Yeah. Um, they have Jan Bednarek, one of the... A, a good, solid Southampton center back. Yeah. They also have, in midfield, they have zelinski from napoli they have Plaquetta from norwich okay so yeah <laughs> okay i just think that mexico itself i don't think that they're as good as they really should be their midfield and their attack just really doesn't convince me lately
1: will how unimpressive were they in colombo qualifying mexico
2: only advanced uh mexico only got an automatic place Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm mixing up Mexico and U.S. Mexico, were tied with Canada at the top of the of the, of the octagonal. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, I, I don't... Okay, I don't hate the take that Mexico could disappoint um, because I think if you ask a lot of CONCACAF fans, they will tell you that Mexico defensively were... Specifically defensively um, left a lot to be desired. There's not a whole lot of individual talent there, let alone European ability. Um, but for me, the thing with Mexico is the players that they've got along the attacking three with particularly Raul Jimenez. And then you get somebody like Juki Lozano. Um, I know that Diego Lenez has not particularly been in Mexico's plans, but he's an exciting youngster that could be in a much different situation at club level come November, December. Um, you've got domestic players. Alexis Vega is an exciting attacking player. Funes mm-hmm. Mori plays um, in Liga MX, So I I think attacking, I think, is how Mexico will ultimately get through is by creating chances and, and scoring goals. They're not going to advance off three, one, no one. Um, here's my thing with Poland though. And I don't like, again on paper. Yeah. Maybe they should advance out of the group, but their problem consistently is that they've got this brilliant world beating talismanic number nine and nobody took create chances for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's always been the issue with, with Poland. What good is having a brilliant, poaching, specifically poaching center forward, a player who doesn't exactly love to drop in between the spaces, pick up the ball and create for himself. Somebody who would much rather get into the penalty area, latch himself onto crosses delivered by other players from the wings or or from the central areas. Poland don't have that. And so they've got this brilliant, maybe the best pure goal scorer on the planet, but nobody to consistently create goal scoring chances for him. That's my only concern with Poland. Like defensively, Fine, I, I I like Bednarek as a player who is good enough to advance out of a World Cup group. I think they've got Matthias Klič as well at Leeds mm-hmm. who can sit in yeah. that holding role. Um, but I don't know. For me, I just it sounds weird to say with a Polish side that have Robert Lewandowski. I don't know where the goals are going to come from, genuinely, because Lewandowski is this great player. But we saw it at the Euros. We saw it at the 2018 World Cup. He didn't get many chances to show it off. And it's because of the players he's got around him in that attacking group. So that's my concern. That's why uh, maybe it was a stretch to like say that's the easiest group to predict, because, upon, you know, maybe it's not because we're having this conversation. Um, but I don't know. I still think it's got to be Argentina and Mexico to advance. And then Mexico, in traditional Mexico fashion, lose in the round of 16 to probably France because that's <laughs> tradition.
0: I don't know. I guess the reason why I'm a, like, looking specifically at the form of Jimenez and Chucky Lozano just knowing that they've kind of had rough seasons not really been very prolific at club level either I think that I I would just say that I I would have to see them improve their form and just you know get back to banging in some goals to be a little bit more confident but obviously I think this is more of like a, a United States fan. Take. Right. Just being like, you know, the Mexicans. As an American, I love the take. They played terrible against us at the Azteca. They looked awful. So that's sort of like where this take comes from. And nothing would make me happier than to see it. So I'm going to go with that. Anyone else have some hot takes?
2: I will say, just regarding Mexico briefly, I think Chuki is a player who is going to get up for big games like that. Obviously, he scored the crucial, crucial goal for Mexico against Germany in 2018, but mm-hmm. even though he never got on the score sheet, I was always kind of impressed with him when he played the U.S. throughout the CONCACAF qualifying. His ability to, to make those penetrating runs, to get himself into positions to score goals, and his finishing let him down, but... I don't know, he's one of those players that for me, yeah, maybe he's not super impressive in the the kind of day-to-day whatever, but when it's a big match, I think you can bet on Chucky Lozano to kind of get up forward and at least find himself in one or two positions to score a goal. But again, I don't hate the take as an American that Mexico won't have the group.
0: <laughs> okay, who else wants to go with the hot take? So,
1: I have, I know we talked about this group as a pickem, but I actually think Belgium crashed out of the group stage in this oh. tournament. Oh love that and i'm looking at their squad right now and i would describe it as basically a skeleton of what they had <laughs> in their golden generation love it that mm. central defense is either in a nursing home or <laughs> yes. can't play football um i'm looking at yeah. the guys they recently called up they're not bad but they're not they're not what we're used to jason Denayer, dedrick boyota thomas Fouquet. if especially the canadians can get in behind with their pace If Alphonso Davies is healthy, and if Jonathan Davids shows up on that world stage, I could see the Canadians doing something akin to what we saw the South Koreans doing to the Germans in the last World Cup and winning by a score of something like 2-0. And in attack, who do they have? They got Lukaku, who can't find a game under Tuchel. Lukaku, yeah. And the other guys, Benteke, Batshuai, Origi, okay. I mean, they're players, they're pro players, but they're not going to strike fear into the hearts of opposing defenses. I think there's always one surprise in the World Cup. This is going to be one of them where this I think starts maybe potentially the downfall of the Belgians and even we see them maybe not even qualifying for the next one or two tournaments because I think that's how much of a drop off you have from this generation from the previous one.
2: It is a steep fall off, you're right. And yeah. that's like I don't know how they were number 1 in the FIFA ranking for so long because they've got they've got some brilliant players. They've got like you said Lukaku, they've got Kevin De Bruyne, they had Dries Mertens when he was yeah. clicking at at napoli but like they're all if my math is correct on the other side of 30 yeah. and the players replacing them are names like Boyata, like you said names like salamakers who is a fine player but you know what i mean it's a drop-off so i Belgium to duck out i like that
1: I like it. especially if like i said the other teams in the group have attacking talent Croatia with modric on the ball and the canadians i think are going to give them a really hard time
0: yeah yeah i really like that take okay will what do you have for us
1: i have i think i've crafted
0: one
2: just out of nowhere and i it's not one that i'm saying just like for the sake of saying like actually i'm starting to make myself believe it i think we see at least one nation in the round of 16 who we don't even know if they're going to be in the group stage yet does that make sense i think we see at least I think we see at least one playoff winner advance out of the group and into the round of 16. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say, forget the Costa Rica and New Zealand playoff because they're in the same group as Germany and Spain. But you look at the uh, oceanic and South American uh, mm. playoff, it's Australia, Peru, mm. and they're in a group with that. We've discussed with France, Denmark, Tunisia, I think you have a clear hierarchy there with France and Denmark as one and two. But Denmark, as much as I love them and as much as I love Christian Eriksen, they strike me as a side that will either make another spectacular, sensational run, or they'll really, really disappoint. I don't Mm -hmm. think there's a middle ground for Denmark at this Mm -hmm. World Cup. I think that it's one or the other. And Peru are a a battle-tested South American side that's not an easy confederation to qualify from they've got players they got important results late in the window to clinch their place um so i don't hate the idea of potentially peru advancing but then the big one fellas i mean look at this group b and i can't believe we haven't talked about it much yet usa england iran and then the winner of wales scotland and ukraine It's like the one group I can't predict. That's probably partly because my bias plays a massive, massive role. But (laughs) I think I think Iran will surprise a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. I think if the playoff winner—no disrespect to Ukraine—but I think if the playoff winner is either Wales or Scotland, those are two national teams that I'm very, very afraid of. They'd be entering a group with at the very least england and that's a derby match so yeah. you can take form and player individuality out the window yeah. and they'd be playing against the u.s who would be in a way a bit of a, of a derby match itself if only because the u.s have been constantly dressing up their odds as much bigger than they actually are everybody wants a piece of them i feel like um so i don't know i feel like we will see one playoff winner in the round of 16 whether it's wales scotland or peru um, and i'm I think if you have to give me like one through 10 on the confidence scale, I'm putting it at like an eight. I think I'm, wow. I'm pretty confident that we'll see at least one.
0: Wow. I really like that. Take. That was, that was fun to listen to. And you made a very good case for it as well. I, I have to say that, you know, hearing that I'm convinced as well. Dude, I
2: don't know what it is. I, it's always I like, are you guys college basketball fans?
0: Casual. Not too at much, all. Okay. Casually. It,
2: in March Madness, we have that first four in Dayton, right? The, the play-in games. There's always there's always a team that wins one of those play-in games True. that then wins their first round in the, the main draw. True. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's psychological. I don't know if it's just them being undervalued, but I think that principle can be translated here. I think we'll see a playoff winner at the round of 16. I don't know if they'll advance, but I think they'll make it out of the group.
0: Okay. That leads us into a really, really very, very important conversation to have let's start talking about group b and i just want to sort of ask will who are you supporting in the in this UEFA playoff who UEFA do you want playoff. to see yeah it's, who do you want to see t- come to the group
2: it's tough because it was it would obviously for reasons bigger than football be cool to see ukraine win this playoff knock off scotland and then eliminate wales and then reach the World cup main draw that'd be i think a really really neat storyline um and i guess from the, the World Cup perspective, that's what I'd be backing as well, because I think they're the weakest of the three. And obviously, I'd like for the U.S. to have the easiest draw, especially on match day one. Um, but I think if you're going to make me pick between the others, between Wales or Scotland, I, there's, dude, I, I have to tell you, Scotland makes me nervous. And it's I think Wales have better individual ability. Um, but the thing with Scotland for me is that they're one, and we saw it consistently at the Euros, they will dig their teeth in for 90 minutes. They're very well organized. They're very passionate. They will give everything they have. And that's the kind of team that the U.S. consistently struggled against in CONCACAF in qualifying, is going particularly away from home to the Honduras, to Jamaica, to Costa Rica. Those are the games that they struggled against, the, the disciplined, well-organized, playing in front of their, their boisterous fans' national team. So, I think it's Ukraine, obviously, just because I don't think they're that good, to be honest. Um, But I don't want to see Scotland. Scotland is is making me shake a little bit.
0: As an Arsenal fan, uh, I don't know if you knew that, but... I did not. This is the first time I'm going to mention that. I did not. That's an extra layer that I have to dissect now. (laughs) Yeah. uh, As an Arsenal fan, I actually am am pulling for Scotland because... um, in this Arsenal squad, Kieran Turney is just kind of like, he's almost like the, he can sometimes be the soul of it. Sometimes be the guy that's just like pushing his teammates the hardest, yelling his hardest for his teammates to try harder and you know keep pushing for the victory, all that stuff. So yeah, that sort of ethos from Scotland, I think, is why I think that they're mm-hmm. going to win this playoff. And I really want to see them at the World Cup. So that's kind of who I'm rooting for and what I want to see happen. But yes, you're exactly right that that's the type of team that, you know, the US would really struggle with. So that would make the group a lot harder.
2: Yeah. Will Kieran Tierney be healthy for the playoff or will he still be out? Cuz that's a big miss if they don't have him. Uh,
0: it's a race against time for him, I think. Yeah. He's just had his um he's just had his knee operation this week. So I think it's a race against time for him. Um that being said, I don't think that he is a make or break player for scotland um so I, I i don't think that they necessarily you know miss him too much i think like he's he's part of the squad but he's not like their biggest right. player so it yeah. sh- they should be okay without him but yeah it's a race against time for him he's i i'm for for arsenal season i'm much more worried about that as well <laughs> right yeah
2: i'm i'm sitting a little bit more comfortably now but we'll see how everything plays out
0: okay let's just sort of talk about this group a little bit um what do you guys think about this England squad right now? Do we think it's as good as, you know, it really could be or should be? I think it's, it was
1: good enough to win the 2020 European Championships, but to put it bluntly, Garrett Southgate is a football terrorist. <laughs> um, he's a terrorist. It's what he is. Of course, not literally. I hope that people don't get the wrong impression that I'm actually calling him a partner of Al-Qaeda, but the man cannot put an attacking game plan to save his life. I don't know if you guys are watching that final against Italy. England had them by the throat. That goal by Luke Shaw should have been the beginning of an avalanche of shots on Donnarumma's net. What, mm-hmm. what did the man do? They score a goal, and they turtle for the next 87 minutes and try to play for penalties. I think this English team... It would scare me if they had a different manager, but I think this team is as good as it is on paper, but the problem is the man picking the starting 11 and what he does with that starting 11 makes it all go to waste. And, and that's what I think of the English right now. A so paper what you're tiger. kind of
0: saying about him is like he is quintessentially safe. That yeah. is what he does.
1: And I don't know if it's because he literally does not have the – I guess, expertise or football intelligence to put together an attacking game plan, or if that's how he's naturally inclined to play. Um, Either way, I think it's a waste. And I think, you know, you mentioned Scotland, and, you know, Scotland, the team they remind me of is actually Burnley, which defend for 90 minutes. At times, this English team, especially in major tournaments, has done that. They did that in 2018 against basically Croatia when they basically stopped playing in extra time, playing for penalties um again i mentioned they did it against the italians i would be scared of them but i just don't think the guy i'll say it okay i I just don't think he has the ability to form any sort of attacking plan because we have to remember he was a caretaker in the beginning and he had a few decent uh results that made the fa install him as the head guy and i I think the way the fa made their decision was in poor taste and i I think they're going to pay for it at this world cup especially with the talent that they have yeah
0: yeah
2: that's interesting i think uh and I don't fully even disagree with all of it. I think that it's like a, it's a sensible take about Gareth Southgate. I think to, to be, to be fair to him, I think if you've got a side as defensively sound as his is, you've got, yeah. you know, make fun of Harry Maguire all you want. He's, he's still at an international level, one of the best center backs in the world. Yeah. You pair him with John stones and then you get the likes of either a third center back or, or the the screening of that pivot with Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. So they've got the players to set up that way if they would like to. And, and, you know, playing for one nil is not necessarily the worst idea in the world. If you've got a defense that can consistently create one, nil results. That being said, I think he does going forward, rely a lot on Harry Kane's brilliance and wingers creating chances wide isolated against fullbacks. That's why we saw Ryan Sterling do so much, particularly in the group stage. He was brilliant for England. Um, You've got Bukaya Saka developing, and he looks like he should be a shoe in to Thank start. You. Genuinely, I, th- I think Bukaya Saka should be starting for England come mm. the World Cup in twenty twenty two. I'm so mad he plays for Arsenal because I love watching him; like he's so much fun. And I feel the same way about Emil Smith Rowe. I love. I think he's going to be a stud. It just is a shame that he's on the other side of North London. Um, my perception of this English national team changes honestly on whether or not Jude Bellingham is in the team, and it might be like kind of a minor. Switch a minor difference, but I think Jude Bellium does more in attack than either one of Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips does. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them, sure, both of them uh, are fine. It's a pivot that worked for 6.75 matches at the Euros until like the last 15 minutes of uh, of the final of the Euros, and they self capitulated. But I think Bellingham just gives you more attacking in an attacking sense through the central channels, because they rely so much England on creating through their wingbacks. You mentioned the goal they scored in the final. It was wingback to wingback. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just seems like they don't create much through that central third because they've got Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, who are both very defensively sound, but limited with what they can do going forward. Yeah. Um and I think a player like Jude Bellingham changes all of that. I think you can pair him with a Declan Rice, for example, and, and Rice can still be the player to sit in front of the defensive two or the defensive three, still ping balls all over the pitch, and then you let Bellingham have the freedom to get forward and create and pull strings like he does for Dortmund. So um, I don't know. I think uh, Bellingham is a big one for me, and I think he should be starting in uh, in Qatar in, in November. I just don't know who Gareth Southgate uh it will first of all if he'd have the stones to do it then if he did i don't know who he would switch him out for that's my big question i still think they win the group though i mean like maybe they don't go on a run but i still think england if they don't win this group it's a farce it's it's a disgrace that, that that's my expectation for england
0: well i think that uh albert was kind of insinuating that maybe um Gareth Southgate doesn't really have the the courage to start someone like Jude Bellingham. Which no, that seemed like what he was. Would doing not surprise game.
1: me. He's going to start Mount Phillips and Rice in the field to <laughs> <if> throw. <they're all laughs> he's going to do that.
2: He'll bring back Henderson and play him as the. Yes,
1: he'll bring Henderson on and then he'll sub him off later in the game.
2: Henderson, I'm, right? Henderson, yeah. Fabian Delph will be in the team
0: yeah no that's the thing though the thing that's like crazy about england though when you look at their squad like when you just sort of like look at their recent call-ups just look at you know the recent squad you're just like wow this team should be amazing so yeah you're right it would be a disgrace uh if they didn't top the group but then you know exactly what albert's saying like they kind of just could because of just their manager so that's one thing that we have to talk about with the group okay let's sort of talk about the u.s national team They had a, I would say, solid, solid campaign in CONCACAF. (laughs) Solid. Was it super impressive? I would say no. Would you agree with me, Will?
2: I would say you're more optimistic than I am on their World Cup qualifying campaign. I think that it was passable at best, but they they got there. That's all that matters.
0: Okay, so... Let's just sort of talk about this team. What do you think they need to do to be competitive in a World Cup now? They weren't there in 2018. What do they need to do? I think a
2: big a big thing and a change that they made immediately after they failed to qualify is acknowledge the issues with the way that the setup was at the time, which was you're relying on MLS old heads and an 18-year-old Christian Pulisic to qualify, and that, that does not work they kicked out thank the lord like michael bradley is no longer the national team josie Alvador is no longer the national team like say a prayer thank god they're gone um but i think the big thing uh and it's kind of followed them throughout this World cup qualifying campaign is they still just feel so young and there's there's so much talent in there i think that is undeniable of course we mentioned Polisic already but I think the most important player in this team isn't even Polisic, it's Weston McKenney, who they mm-hmm. missed uh, from time to time during the qualifying campaign. He is crucial to the circulation of possession, to winning battles in midfield. And then you've got him accompanied with Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa. But the interesting thing about all four of those players, who you can argue are their four most important players Polisic, Musa, Adams, and McKenney, is they all have four wildly different backgrounds. They play in four different domestic leagues. And they, they just learned the game from a young age at a different way because they all grew up in, in different academies and they all have their own unique styles of football. And so um, at the start of the qualifying campaign, we saw it felt very patchworked, very herky-jerky. It didn't feel like the chemistry was there. And everyone was like, oh, it's it's a one-time thing. They'll get used to each other or whatever. 14 matches later, I still don't feel like there's been a whole lot of movement on that front. Um, I'm not Berhalter out, but I'm not Berhalter in either. I think he's got some pretty significant tactical limitations. Um, And I think the big thing, and we'll get into it potentially a little bit later, is they, I would like for them to test themselves against non CONCACAF opponents. And Mm Like, no disrespect to the CONCACAF Nations League or to the Gold Cup or anything like that, because trophies are trophies. But in the World Cup, you're not seeing Guatemala and Honduras and and nations of that caliber. You're seeing, in this case, the Englands, the Scotlands, the Irans, and um, I think scheduling friendlies in the next few months against— nations at that level will be paramount. It'll be crucial. Yeah. Not just because you're competing against World Cup level sides, but because North American and Central American football versus European football is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe the US is better suited for that because all of their players are coming from European academies. Um but I feel very uncertain about the US's chances if their first match against a european opponent since they're friendly against switzerland last year mm-hmm. was unmatched. On day one against ukraine scotland or wales so that's the big thing for me is is understand the tactical differences between the two and like play against it before you begin because that's that, that that's my big thing
0: i like your point about how like they kicked out the the old heads of the of the squad and, and really just made a concerted effort to make it younger and I think that, you know, this is an exciting young de- generation. I don't think that this is going to be their pinnacle. Obviously, I think their pinnacle is probably 2026 and right. hosting it. Yeah. But um, my one question that I'm just a li- like, m- my big concern with this um, squad is who is the forward that partners with Christian Pulisic? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yeah, yes. that's times that's a thousand.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's a good point. And Albert, if you want to jump in, I don't want to be no, chatting.
1: We'll go first, time. and I'll you back off you. Um, yeah.
2: No, but that's it's a hugely important question to ask. And, and it goes back to the point that I made earlier about why Son is so valuable to Korea. It's because he's that player who you can count on. If he gets one chance, he'll take it. I don't know if the U.S. have that player. You've got a player like Josh Sargent, who's great out of possession, presses aggressively, can drop into half spaces and link with the wingers. You've got a player like... I don't know, Jordan Pifok, who is a consistent goal scorer in the Swiss League. You've got a player like, um, who else, Ricardo Pepe, who is very, very young and should be getting to those heights eventually, but we haven't quite seen it yet. Like, you don't have that one number nine who you look at and say, I'm playing you. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. And it's a big issue, I think, because on one hand, sure, you've got all these creative players who play in midfield and who can play out wide and maybe throwing another one as a false nine potentially? They were floating yeah. Tim Weah maybe as as a false nine, which yeah, has yeah. its pros and its cons. I don't know. I, I still think the fact that they don't have that one striker who you can look at and say, "I trust you to score a goal if you get a chance in the 88th minute," yeah. could could be an Achilles heel.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. To piggyback off Will's point, I think. An important factor, if, if we're going to advance, is looking at the matchups and who we play in the group. Uh, you look at our opponents, the English and the Iranians, I think, have some of the more taller center backs in the world. Um, mm-hmm. The reason the Iranians give us so much trouble in qualifying is because they're so strong and physical, not necessarily because they always have the best technical players. And the problem with our forwards right now, our, our number nines more specifically, is that, like Will said, they're either way too young, the 19 to start up top in a World Cup, I don't know about that. Even Messi at 19 wasn't really playing much in World Cups, which is why I also would actually – I don't think he's going to do it, but I would experiment with a false nine with somebody like Pulisic Mm. Reyna and maybe a guy like maybe Jordan Morris if he's fit or PFOC rotating because I don't think any of the forwards on this team are going to be able to win aerial duels specifically against the likes of Stones and McGuire. So how do you penetrate? You have to suck them out wide outside the box create space for other runners from in from midfield to run into which is what McKennie is great at so i think the right answer here is to play a false nine like will suggested do i think bray halter will do it i don't think so but i think right now it's a crapshoot to see which forward he's going to play because he literally can throw a dart and just make a case for either one of them starting depending on their form yeah
0: i mean one thing we can say though is that the jesus ferreira thing didn't really work <laughs> that's uh, but happen. you know
2: what it, it, did it not work enough that he won't he wouldn't try it again like
0: you know i don't know that is the thing with Though that that is like the thing um uh he, he he reminds me a little bit of of southgate like just right you know tends to keep trying things that don't necessarily work or i'm not sure but i i really really like albert's point right there just use players that are fast do their damage specifically on the wings and just sort of rely on those runs into those vacated spaces because our midfield is very good at scoring goals and yes. has some creative talent. So that's what I would do. I would, you know, hope that GR gets healthy. Please get healthy, man. Um, wishing you the best in recovery. Um, obviously I, as an MLS fan, I actually really like Jordan Morris as a player. I think he's very dogged. I think he's very skillful with what he does with his body. He's not yeah. a big guy, but he's just very st- like he's a solid guy. Like he he works very hard and he gets stuck in very much. So I like him as well. Timothy Weah obviously has a lot of talent, so I think that that's the route to go. But we we don't really know if uh,
1: I, I think we all expect him probably to come out with a four three three right in the first opening match yeah so, so yeah yeah that's what i figured
2: i think so. the thing with a false nine and it's such an attractive idea and he's done it before obviously here my only concern with with using that is the false nine is a much more difficult role than a lot of people think like yes, i think it's it's a lot more yeah. than just dropping between the lines and creating and playing off of runs from wingers it's I mean, the only person who I think has really, truly mastered it is Lionel Messi. I think everybody else you play as a false nine, and maybe they're better than in an alternate position, but there's still, like, it's it's never perfect. And I, yeah. I think my only concern with that, and I'm not saying I don't think it's the right move. I think it's, it's, it could honestly be the best of a bad situation. My only concern is, are you comfortable with taking somebody who doesn't play as a false nine at club level and asking them to do that, in the World cup group stage yeah. because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very, very big learning curve. I think I never played as a false knight or as a winger or soccer past the age of eight, to be honest. But <laughs> like, I don't know if it's, if like, that's my concern is like, it's a difficult role to master. And I don't love the idea of asking a 22 year old to step in and do it when they haven't done it at a club level.
1: No. And just to piggyback off Will's point um even the best national teams who try it, haven't mastered i would say the spanish did it when they were wow. on their run the germans tried it with mario Gotze after closer retired and it was an absolute disaster <laughs> as will said with the problem with the false nine is if you play the wrong guy up there it could really destroy your entire attack right. and because you're the for, focal point yeah and for 60 minutes you might not have a shot on target so it's going to be a big decision and like you said if you don't have time to get it right it's it, it sometimes is absolutely disastrous yeah.
0: All right. Um, just after, just before we end off with uh, Group B, I just want to say one player I do not want to see at the World Cup is Giuseppe Zardes.
2: Dude. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> if I see his name on the roster,
0: I'm rooting for England. That's it. <laughs> I yeah. I'm just like look. I'm just like looking at recent calls. So I'm like, no, please. Greg Burke hey, Like dude, I know you've worked about- with the guy a lot. Do not bring him to the World Cup six foot two yeah he's tall
2: <laughs> you know you know what actually is really disappointing is zardes might be their best option to start against things oh, yes.
1: <laughs> oh my yeah he's the only one who's past six two I think. Like, yeah. low
2: key, he might be that guy but like uh... Zardas, like don't bring Ariola. i don't want to see him there like oh my gosh if zardes is there i'm gonna flip
0: well, let's let's end off this conversation on group you by just saying giorena um we're wishing you all the best in your recovery we know it's yeah. been really tough for you this past year Keys all the dudes. best man
2: yeah so heartbreaking the guy can't catch a break
0: yeah all right let's pivot let's talk about the tag of warriors um okay like this is the question that i was kind of thinking to myself as like one thing that i just felt like i needed to talk about with this is albert yeah. do you think that this was the best group that we could have drawn from as like as a pot three team do you think that they that we did well for ourselves
1: i think relatively i don't know if it was the best group we could have drawn i think it could have been worse um but it's not the best um but i will say i am more bullish now um with our chances because it's one thing i didn't mention on the um the uh, previous part with will is the fact that i think like you said all four of these teams have massive issues um portugal Ooh. has a manager who seemingly can't to put together an attacking game plan at major tournaments. Uh, the Ghanaians, I think I've heard whispers that they're going to call up Azamoa Gian again, who I'm surprised oh, is still playing football. Um, and the Uruguayans, they have, I think they have a solid base in midfield and in defense. But again, you don't know what you're going to get with those strikers up front and how many minutes can they actually give you in a tournament. Um, I, I think for us, it's, um, I'm lukewarm, I would say on on this. I'm not as, Panicked as I was when I first saw the draw come out, but I, I think it's lukewarm. And honestly, I would be happy with advancing, but also I wouldn't give Bento too much stick if they finish third in this group either. That's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna agree. I think overall, as I've looked at it more and more, I'm like this is a manageable, possible, competitive group, and I think that's what we wanted. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've drawn any team that i don't think that we could compete with in any way absolutely i think that that's the thing that i'm i'm very um happy about i think like obviously like for for example like let's say that we you know we talk about 2018 right we just felt like from the beginning even though we ended up beating them right but before the world cup started we were like oh we can't compete with somebody like germany right it's something like that there's no team where i'm like Okay. Obviously, I think we can compete with Portugal. I think we can compete with Ghana. And I think for sure, when you're talking about like an aging front line, like if Uruguay really goes with Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani as their attacking forwards, like I think that we can take care of that. Obviously, they have a lot of other things that they could do um, that scare me a lot, but still, I think it's manageable. I'm I'm okay with it, and I think that that's really what we wanted we wanted something that we could be okay with that we felt like we could compete compete with and that's really good that's really good for Korea right now
1: yeah I will say though um, historically we do not match up very well against those African and South American countries Mm -hmm. so that is something to watch obviously history isn't a you know a certainty but um, I think yeah Bento does have his work cut out for him with these matchups yeah
2: how encouraged are you both, particularly like w- in terms of this your your odds of advancing this year versus 2018-2014? For me, a, a crucial point is the emergence of a player like Wang Hee Chan to provide and to create yeah. not named Sun Young Min. You know what I mean? It, it's a similar Lewandowski predicament where like they had this this brilliant number nine, but it, he was oftentimes by himself. And you've got a player like Wang Hee Chan who not only has been good in qualifying, but has started to carve out a role of Wolves, too, and you look at him and you're like, you're not just a good a good player on the national team, you're a good player. Like, how important has his emergence been in terms of, like, just your advancement
0: odds getting better? Okay, Albert, I'm going to let you start.
1: All right. Uh, well, I think, for me, it's a, it's a complete game-changer because in the past, especially in the last World Cup, most of the defenses would focus a lot of double teams actually only on Sun. Um, and now you have, you're at a point where he could probably have a little more space on the field. And that was one of the problems in the last World Cup was when I saw Son on the ball, he didn't have a lot of space because all the defenders were crowding into him and creating right. a box. Whereas with Yi Chan, who also has speed to burn, he's going to suck other defenders out into space. And what's interesting is that I actually think Son's going to start on the right side of the pitch of this World Cup because Yi Chan is actually amazing from the left-hand mm-hmm. side. Uh, he loves cutting in onto his right foot. Um, he's also great at playing passes, low passes into the box. So I think it's going to create a, a little shift where these teams are not going to be used to seeing Son min on the right side. So I think mm-hmm. it create a lot of problems for teams who are going to have their scouting reports say if they don't watch a lot of Asian soccer, oh, Son's going to be on the left side all game. That's not going to be the case. And you're going to see maybe a completely different attack at this World Cup. And I think that does give us more of a fighting chance, especially against these bigger opponents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just to sort of piggyback off of what Albert was saying, I think Huang Chan just in the last three four years has has massively improved as a player but i think overall this squad from 2018 has just improved gotten a lot more depth especially in in the midfield i think that like you know if if we've got a squad that's you know on form and playing well in the midfield i think that we just have a better midfield than we had four years ago so that's a really huge huge improvement i think that Four years ago, our, our midfield was a bit of a mess. And that's why, you know, Son was just able to just be m- like marked out of the match, basically, other than like, you know, that Mexico goal, right? Um, yeah. So we feel a lot better just about like the squad itself. It's gotten much healthier, it's gotten more depth, and there's a lot more competition to get into it these days. I think that like, there's just like, when we have our group chat, there's just a lot of like young guys where we're like, you know, what if this guy goes on a heater of form and like, you know, somehow finds his way into the World Mm -hmm. Cup squad? Like, what if that happens, right? And there are more guys that we're talking about than we used to. So I think that overall, it's just a healthier squad, a more balanced one, and one we feel a little bit more confident about. Um, But still, the one thing that we're all worried about is, I think, defense. I think defense, we're still worried about. We're still kind of shaky, and we're sort of looking for one guy to standout other than someone named Kim Min-jae. That's kind of our our big issue is we don't really have a standout defender other than that one guy. So that's sort of an issue, but feeling better about it than we were four or eight years ago, which is good. Yeah.
1: Well, I will say our team, if I look at the roster, it's almost similar to the problems we have with the U.S. men's team. um, Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but Korea's fullbacks might be a problem. Um, especially one that comes to defending against these better teams. Um, And also, I think we have a lot of good young attacking talent, like he said, like Michael said, but are they ready? Are they physically up to the challenge of performing at this World Cup? Because I have no doubt that in 2026, this team will absolutely must qualify into the round of 16. But the question is, can we compete physically with the big boys? And are these young guys ready enough to put on a decent performance? I think that's going to be the main question and it's going to be a question for the u.s men's team as well
2: yeah i that's one thing that i meant to get around to when we were still discussing group b is like the u.s consistently uh, for as much talent as they have in, in attack they consistently get caught out defensively because um for a couple reasons one their fullbacks just get so high at the pitch that's where anthony robinson and, and Sergio Dest are at their best but also you're, you're at the same time playing a relatively immobile Center back pairing in Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman,
1: okay.
2: a relatively high line, and Robinson and Dest aren't the best at tracking backwards. So a lot of times they get exposed on the wing. I don't know if it's a similar predicament, but like it's it's where the the biggest crack is to be in the US is is attacking the flanks on on a counter attacking move.
0: I would say that the problem with our fullbacks is. You know, actually, you're right. It's it's kind of similar. Like our fullbacks, at least the ones that we that play a lot, like someone like Kim Jin Soo, for example, um, great attacking guy. Like really knows where to get to in attacking positions. Always looking to find space for a cross or play the one two, like low balls, but very suspect defensively. Yeah. And then on the other side, it's like we have this like argument all the time but it's just like basically an old guy that like is incredibly solid defensively but really just offers nothing other than like a specific thing like just a, a a floated cross that you know the probability of that connecting with our forwards is quite low so yeah and then he's also in his 30s so can he keep up with you know these these players that he's going to be playing with like can he keep with up with a diogo jota in a match like that or you know stuff like that? that's just that's kind of what we're worried about so defense is still something that i think in the in the seven months left like we have a lot of wishes for what happens with our fullbacks right albert that sounds very familiar
1: yes i want to see rotation i want to see rotation um but again i think the one solution to protect fullbacks who can't defend traditionally is to play a back three but i think that would be a disastrous idea for both of these teams because you don't want to sacrifice another attacking winger but in every world Cup, i think you go into it acknowledging a risk and i think for both our national teams you just have to acknowledge the risk that our fullbacks might get burned a few times in the match Yeah, Yeah.
2: the us has a hard enough time picking two center backs, let alone three.
1: Are are you going back to the are you worried about I was talking to one of my friends who uh, played in soccer in the USU system. He was telling me he's a bit worried about actually Zimmerman, especially coming up against the the bigger English strikers like Kane. I was wondering what you do think about that. For me,
2: Zimmerman is the quintessential MLS defender. He's very physical, very strong, very big with absolutely no positional awareness. And so I'm. It is scary. It depends on like on on the depth of their line. I think because I'm very confident in Zimmerman and, and and Robinson that pairing. If they're not playing 40 yards, 50 yards from goal, yeah. If if they're if they're further back, if we're sitting in a low block, if if even if there's space between the lines, I'd much rather have them closer to what I would assume would be Matt Turner in goal than way up at the halfway line and then needing to track backwards against the likes of Raheem Sterling, Saka, Harry Kane, and those boys. Um, yeah. It's a good take. I I, I like what, what your buddy said because Zimmerman, he's an MLS guy. And and, and I, there's that stigma, right? Like, oh, the MLS is, is not at the same level as European football, which, like, in a way, is sure. I think that's a, a, a pretty widely acknowledged truth. But there's still quality in the league, just different kinds. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... That type of quality doesn't always translate against the best in, in Europe. And I think Walker Zimmerman is a perfect example of that. He was MLS defender of the year, two years ago. Yeah. wasn't a fluke. He was brilliant in MLS. But it doesn't necessarily translate to playing against, against England. Yeah.
0: I just want to say one thing that I like that we've sort of commiserated on with our two national teams is that we are very young squads that are not right. approaching their yeah. peak yet. I like yeah. that we've really commiserated on the fact that there's more to come from both of us. Um, so now we, I think like the last thing that I want to talk about is just what should we be doing in these seven months before the world cup? Like, mm. what is your sort of forecast or wishes for your national team to be doing to prepare for this world cup? Uh, well, I want to start with you. What do you think that, uh, Greg Berhansel should be doing or what should he be asking, um, the schedulers that the United States soccer federation to do?
2: You know what's funny? And this isn't even just because the two national teams that we're discussing predominantly on this show are USA and Korea. I want them to schedule a friendly against each other. I think that that that, that benefits both sides. And with the U.S., it's difficult because um, they've got a Nations League schedule to navigate as well in the summer. But from the U.S. perspective, right, you look at at Korea. They— they are a, a tier above most north american national teams you've played so you're getting that that world cup quality side you're also scheduling a friendly with a national team that handled iran pretty comfortably in world cup qualifying i yeah. went back and i watched uh i watched their first of two matches that ended 1-1 and i was really really impressed by the way korea not just played as a whole but the way that they really effectively prevented iran from progressing the ball and then further down the pitch marked mediterranean and sardar and they were non-factors essentially um Mm -hmm. and so i think scheduling a friendly against a side that did that for me the most important match for the u.s is not against england or the playoff it's against Mm -hmm. iran because i think that's where the two versus three fight is i think whoever Mm -hmm. takes the points in that match is more likely to advance and so scheduling a match with a national team that knows how to beat them i think would serve them very very well Um, And then for for Korea, what's interesting is that they're in a group where it's—let me double-check this, because I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, they're in a group with three other different confederations, three wildly different styles of play. Um, And so I think scheduling a friendly against— a, a national team in a different confederation. I know they're not playing against a North American side, but still having that that friendly against a different confederation is important. But also we kind of touched on it. The USA can play so many different ways because they've got so many players with so many different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think a U.S.-Korea friendly genuinely would serve both sides very, very well. And it'd be fun to watch. And I'm sure we talk about it on the podcast too.
0: I'm just going to say this. Um, the U.S. women's national team and the Korean women's national team have – played friendlies quite recently in the mm-hmm. past couple of years so that relationship there to schedule it is there
2: yeah. um, uh, it'd be thrilling I, I might watch that match more closely than any of the three world cup matches that's not true but
0: it'd be fun <laughs> yeah I I, I I like that you said that i think that that would be a really good idea um okay if you had to ask for one more friendly for uh, the u.s men's national team what would you ask for i would say hmm, that's a tough one
2: You know who I would want? Poland. I'd want the U.S. to schedule Poland. And I think what should be paramount in a friendly uh, getting ready for the World Cup is uh, specifically for the U.S. in a group with what will be two European nations play against European sides. And I think Poland Hmm. um, resemble... Uh, England somewhat well, in the sense that they've both got very, very good strikers. You've got to learn how to limit players of that quality. Um, They're sound defensively. Obviously, England more so than Poland. Um, And I think Poland is on that same tier as uh, Ukraine, Wales, Scotland. England is obviously so far clear. Um, But I think they could learn a lot of things from Poland that they can use then in in a match against England or, or the playoff. And then why not go for one of the big boys why not schedule a friendly against against the Netherlands or against Belgium or, mm-hmm. or something um, they've done, that's something they've done in the past they've scheduled group friendlies around. against those big nations yeah. um, and they may not have won but they've learned a lot and you remember for 2014 they advanced out of that group of death when they played a difficult fresh fixture a difficult friendly schedule leading up to it so um, yeah I would say I would say any, any big shot European nation would be on the checklist for sure
0: okay. All right, Albert. I just sort of yeah. want to ask you, like, what do you think that Korea should be doing in the next seven months?
1: Well, you know, Will made a really good point about how the other three teams in our groups are literally from all different confederations. You got an African team, you have a South American team, and you have a European team. Um, I think the fact that most of our, a lot of our players now are based in Europe, um, probably makes it more necessary for us to play um, maybe some more African and South American teams. Um, mm-hmm. One team actually two teams I would, I would try to get friendlies in with in preparation for the Uruguay game, which I think is probably going to be the battle for second place if mm-hmm. Portugal does what they're supposed to do. is I would want to play either the Chileans or the Colombians. Um, mm. In South America, you play that taxing, just brutal, almost street football where there's rules, but there's no rules in terms of physicality, You know, where you're almost pretty much fighting against your opponent on the pitch for 90 minutes. I think we need to get that mentality where we're ready for a war against the Uruguayans. Um, and I think the Chileans and Colombians will provide that. I believe we actually played the Colombians a few years ago in a friendly and toll, which we won two to one. But I remember the chippiness and nastiness of that game. Yes,
0: that was mm-hmm. a very, very, very chippy yes. game.
1: For, there were some other reasons, uh, you know, racism reasons that, there, um, that it wasn't a great game. But I think um, in terms of stim- stimulating that kind of environment that we're going to face against the Uruguayans, especially, is something that's going to be key. Um, and in terms of the Ghanaians and preparing for them, I actually want to see us play against the Algerians once. Um, I know Algeria didn't make it to the world cup, but they did spank us four to two in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Um, I think playing against a little more dynamic, shifty African team with more pace, which is what the Ghanaians kind of have, um, will be a good way for us to simulate what we should expect, um, at the world cup. Uh, I think in terms of maybe a European opponent, I know they didn't make it, but maybe Sweden, um, I'm not sure if Laton, like yeah, I don't know. I'm sure if going to play with the national team anymore. But another tall, older center forward who's not going to move a lot is something you should use to maybe use as a template for when you play Ronaldo in Qatar. So I think you just need to try to simulate all these situations you're going to face again um, at the World Cup. So those would be my four teams. Yeah.
0: Okay. Another thing that we just sort of have to think about, right, is that there's seven months to get healthy, and also there's a transfer window. Uh, before this happens usually Mm. the world cup's played in the summer right and the world cup's kind of that auditioning field for you to get your move after it's over but this time there's going to be possibly some moves that sort of impact your form leading up to the tournament itself Um, so i just want to sort of talk a little bit about what do we think could happen in summer that would help or hurt our team and Like, what's a couple players that just have to be healthy or have to get healthy if they're injured currently? Um, Albert, you want to go first? Because I went first last
1: time. No, Will, you're right. You can go first. I got to think about something.
0: I think,
2: for me, for the U.S., I think health-wise, obviously everyone, it seems, is just so unbelievably brittle and fragile. Um, But I think there's two players specifically that I look at and I say, you need to be healthy throughout and that's Weston McKenney who I already mentioned and not even Pulisic I think the other one's Tyler Adams um very having good. having a midfielder who can be that cog in defense in front of a not very mobile uh center back pairing the the defensive minded one who can also progress the ball the versatile one who can fill into one of the fullback spaces when they get up the pitch I think Tyler Adams gives a lot that a player like uh, who would be next in line for Adams Kellen Acosta uh um mm-hmm. oh my gosh who's the uh, pomical Paxton pomical i mean who who is next in line after tyler adams i i don't know who it would be you bring in Oda osaui odeno back from from uh, from wolves or wherever he is now i don't i don't you know what i mean i think tyler adams is so crucial to the way us play but also there's no replacement for him I think he needs to be healthy. I think Weston McKenney, for obvious reasons, needs to be healthy. He is their most important midfielder. I think he's the most important player when they've got a full healthy 11. Um, and then in terms of, of movement, there's two big ones that I have that I really would like to see happen. I think one of them is about as close to a lock as you can possibly get. Um, and it's not even a transfer. It's get full and promoted. I think if Fulham mm-hmm. get promoted from the championship, You've got two players in that Fulham side, assuming they don't leave, who will be playing three or four months of, of Premier League football before the World Cup starts. That's Anthony Robinson, who could learn so much in that time span. We know how how uh, advantageous the Premier League is to some attacking wingbacks, some of the best wingbacks in the world playing the Premier League. But you've also got Tim Ream, who is a bit of a meme, but uh, he will more than likely be on the plane. And he offers that veteran stability in okay. defense. He doesn't profile much differently from the players that they have starting, but um, he's a Premier League tested center back against the English national team. You could do a hell of a lot worse. So get full and promoted is the one thing. And the other one for me, Get Brendan Aronson on a, on a plane to Leeds United. I mean, this has been linked for so long, ever since ever since Jesse Marsh made that move, and honestly, even before Jesse Marsh made that move, they were talking Aaronson to Leeds, Aaronson to Leeds. I think at club level, that's a perfect marriage. Aaronson is a, a work rate merchant who also does other things very very well. Um, and he, he would fit that lead structure so perfectly. And also, he'd have however many months of Premier League football under his belt before taking on an integral role, what would likely be the first player off the bench in Qatar. So, Fulham need to win promotion. They're currently first place in the championship by a pretty good margin. And Brendan Aronson needs to get his ass to Leeds so he can play for Jesse Marsh at Ellen Road and then play for the U.S. in the World Cup.
0: I like that one. I really like that one. I'm just gonna say this, um, because this is something that I've thought for a long time. I would really love Jesse Marsh to be the U.S. Men's National Team coach. Twenty twenty six, it's he's coming. Twenty twenty six. I just that's the one thing like when whenever I think about Berhalter, I'm like, but what about Jesse Marsh? That's one thing I think <laughs> about. But I love what you said about Brendan Aronson. Like just getting him to Leeds and getting him into the Premier League, into the most competitive league in the world, would be really great for him. And then obviously, like, I think just Korean-Americans, Americans Americans in general, have a very good feeling about Fulham just because of our history with them putting Mm -hmm. a lot of faith in American players. So, yeah, we'd love to see them back.
1: Yeah,
0: They just, Fulham just, I I really hope Fulham can figure out how to stay in the Premier League, though. That's one thing I have to say.
2: (laughs) They did just sell their best player to Liverpool, so I don't know if they have any staying power with Carvalho out. But the good news is, it won't matter because the world cup ends in December. And then once that happens, Fulham can lose every match for the rest of the season. I could care less. Just give us Anthony Robinson in good form for Qatar and I'll be happy.
0: Nice. (laughs) All right, Albert. um, I think there's a lot of things that Korea like would help Korea do better. So yeah. Why don't you just sort of give us a couple of your things and then I'll, I'll think about some, some of the things I want to think about.
1: Sure. Well, Obviously, um, Sonny and Huang have to stay healthy. And, you know, given how packed the EPL schedule is um, and how they don't have a winter break, I believe, they still don't have one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, really. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play a big part into whether some guys are hurt or not, which I know it's not related, but I think it's part of the reason why England might not have as good of a World Cup if their players are really, really tired from that brutal domestic schedule. But shoving that aside, uh, right now, one injury concern I do have is um, for midfielder Huang in who um, he's not known to a lot of European or North American people, but he's a um, a central, he's a basically a central midfielder who I would say is, Michael, you can disagree with me, but our Luka Modric, you know, our Mm -hmm. Tony Kroos, our guy in the middle of the midfield, who's going to spray balls across the pitch. Um, He was playing in Russia, but I think because of the um, international situation and the sanctions that were being placed, he's actually back in Korea temporarily. um, As he waits to find a new club um, later in the year, He's also out with a toe fracture, which is actually a huge injury, especially in this sport. So Mm -hmm. I think having him healthy and in that midfield, spraying balls to the side of the pitch where Huang and Son can control it and get into the box is going to be huge. He is one guy, assuming all the superstars are healthy, that I really need in that starting 11 in Qatar playing well.
0: Okay. Um, For me, I think I'm going to just sort of talk a little bit about another midfielder, or just like a a K League guy that I would like to see go somewhere else, um, and I would love to see being a utility player in um, in Qatar. I would love to see Amwansang um get a transfer out of the K League, just to chest himself even more. I think that that's been one of the best K League. He's been one of the best K League players. The past couple seasons. I just think he's a really exciting young guy. I think he scores a lot of really fun goals in the K-League, and I would love to see him get a chance to test himself abroad, and I think that that would really improve his chances of of making the World Cup. And another thing is just, please just help us find some young fullbacks in good form before Qatar. (laughs) That's like my thing. So um, I don't know how, how much you follow MLS I will, but Kim Moon Hwan left MLS to come back to the K League. Mm-hmm. I'd love him to get back into form. I mean, it's just, yeah, I think pressing my mind all the time with Korea is making sure that we have good fullbacks because wingers just always play better when they have good fullbacks to play off of, right? Yeah. And so. If you have two really, really talented wingers in Huang Chan and Son Heung-min, you need to give them quality mm-hmm. fullbacks that can play one twos with them. Yeah. We'll make that run in behind aggressively and with commitment, and we'll be able to either dribble out of out of trouble or put in a good cross when they get it, or just have the ability to think imaginatively and cut back to a winger or cut back to a central midfielder. I think that sometimes the biggest problem with Korean fullbacks is they have been sort of just, it's been pounded into them that when you get the ball right towards the touchline, your one thing that you should do is loft and across. And I think that the modern game just doesn't play like that anymore. So um, young fullbacks that play differently would be my biggest wish. Yeah.
2: I think the biggest, what's so fascinating is that, like, this World Cup, maybe more than any other one ever, is going to be so based on club form. Like, and it's all because it's thrown in the middle of a domestic season. Like, so we're sitting here predicting the the squads and all this and all that. Come November, if Josh Sargent has scored six and seven matches, he's on the plane and no one's going to complain about it, which is, is so it's so interesting to think about like it is so important like the form that a player is in a club level for two or three months prior and it's a different dynamic because we've never had that before at least in our lifetimes yeah,
0: yeah. i mean Maybe, this is this is really going to be a truly unique uh, world cup Alba, yeah. what were you going to add
1: uh i was just going to say sorry um just before we sign off obviously just to give our winners as a last prediction oh, You ran
0: my mind. i wanted yeah. to do this too yeah. oh nice okay
1: yeah so whoever can start off, I don't care who goes first, but I think that would be a good way to cap off the show. So, Albert, you go
0: first. Yeah, you suggest uh, it.
1: Man, oh, man. Um, I, I would pick the French, but I, I think historically, again, I'm looking at history, it is really, really hard to win two in a row. Um, I think the Brazilians are the only ones who have ever done it, if I'm not mistaken, yes. or the Italians. Or no, the Brazilians, yeah. Brazilians are the only ones who have ever done it. Um, I I'm going to go – I'm going to – I'm going to go for Spain Oof. and I'm going to go for them just because I think this is the time. I think he's already made his mark in on the club stage, but I think for more casual fans of soccer, I think this is when Pedri really elevates his name and brand to casual sports fans who are going to realize this kid is also going to be part of that Mbappe, Holland generation. Um, I think that midfield is dynamic. I think, I can count on my hand maybe two or three teams in the world that are going to have more possession than them. Um, And I think once Spain start doing that, they're almost impossible to beat. And I think they have a great manager in Luis Enrique who has big game experience in Barcelona who sets up his his side in an attacking manner. Um, The fact they don't have a great center forward isn't a problem. It never was a problem for them when they were winning all those championships. So I think for me, um, I'm going to go with Spain. Yeah, I'm going to go with Spain.
2: I agree, although... David Villa was better than just an average oh, striker. I, I forgot coach. about
1: I was thinking more of uh, when they were using fiberglass in the false nine. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. Um,
2: oh, I love it, though. Little little Chavinesta, Pedri, is going to be a stud. That guy, yeah. oh, my God, that guy was worked to his core last year. Remember the photo of him at the Olympics in the semifinal when he looked like a ghost?
1: Yeah, he's going to kill him before <laughs> he turns so 30. Jesus, the guy's yeah. A,
2: yeah, he's going to retire at, at 25 because yeah. he's got the ligaments of a 70-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go—I uh, like I like Spain. I like the Spain shot. But I'm going to go—I'm going to buy into the hype, I think. And, and maybe I'll look stupid. I think Brazil win. I, I really, really like Brazil. Um, and for me, it's one—it's a couple things. Um, but there's one big difference between this year's Brazil and 2018 Brazil. And that difference for me is the quality they have among their wingers, I think, is is— head and shoulders better than what it was uh four years ago mm-hmm. uh they were fielding a team in uh in russia that was you looked at willian and you were like oh my god he's gonna be crucial and <laughs> yeah <laughs> thinking about that now <laughs> how did any of us think they were gonna win the World cup where with did that he reality? Did
1: he, wasn't he in china for a bit too and like i don't know where he's now yeah
2: like... <laughs> might as well have been i couldn't tell you where willian is now um but you were looking at, he started every single match that Brazil played. And you were like, if Brazil do well, it's going to be because William has to perform. What a bizarre sentence to say like that. That should not be the reality. But you look at Brazil now and you've obviously got Neymar, but you've got players like uh, Anthony at, at You've got players (laughs) like Mateus Cunha. You've got players like even over Charleston at Everton who gets clowned and sometimes rightfully so, but he's a quality player. Um, They've got, Really skilled, skilled wide players. I think, and that's the biggest difference for me then versus now. And the other thing is they're so well drilled defensively. Like that's what Tite does best is sets his team up defensively. Um, you've got, I think, what could be the best center back pairing in international football in Marquinhos and Tiago Silva. You've got uh, a couple different fullbacks to choose from, whether it's uh, Danilo, Alexandro You've got um, oh, who's the kid whose name I'm forgetting? Not kid. He's like 24, but. Uh, He started for them in the Olympics, and now he's, like, supposed to be a starter. I forget what his name is, and it's going to bother me. Aranya. Guillermo Aranya should should Mm -hmm. be in the team. Um, And then you've got screening all of them is Casemiro, who is Mm. just the same traditional big bludgeoning defensive midfielder he's always been. And then you've got Neymar, who's going to drop deep and connect, but you've got Bruno Guimara, who can play that same role in midfield. Like, I got clowned a few days ago because I was giving my Brazil-to-win prediction and I was going through all the names and all the players and what they're going to do. And my buddy was just like, "Dude, we get it. You know the Brazilian player pool." But it's like there's so much to it. Like that's why there's so many players that can can play significant roles in this team that it feels like you're doing it a disservice if you don't name everyone. And they have so many good players. So I like uh, I like Brazil. I think to to win the World Cup and, and get back to winning ways for like not, not a European nation, but I still like yeah. them to do it.
1: I was vacillating between Brazil and Brazil yeah. and Spain, but yeah, great pick. Yeah
0: well um, did i steal yours I, no i'm glad you went first because Ooh. that's also what i was thinking and i'm gonna i'm gonna name some other players that you that you that you didn't name because Please. there's so many to name Please. Right? let's talk about vinicius jr right i can't Rodrigo. believe i forgot him i can't Rodrigo. believe i forgot vinicius yeah the, the, the real madrid boys um like we, we've talked about bruno Guimaraes, lucas Paqueta. obviously philip coutinho is still in the pool yep. um Rafinha is in the pool Um, Roberto Firmino is still could be a utility guy for them right Um, it's just you know Douglas Luiz from Aston Villa as well like it's just they're stock full of really talented players and I think when you just look at the pool and when you look at just what they have to choose from and just yeah just the brilliance of Tite in terms of getting this team to be very very defensively sound and the fact that they have the best goalkeeper in the world allison as their goalkeeper it's hard to argue with um and that's yeah that's the team that i thought of their attacking
2: three could be vinicius neymar uh and rafinha and it would be i think head and shoulders the best attacking trio in qatar that's how good that trio could be
0: Yeah. yeah it's just so yeah I mean, it's a great way to end up with just us agreeing on something to sort of end up. But yeah, it's 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 so true. I just, I'm blown away by their mm-hmm. their talent pool. And I think that it would be very hard to pick a roster for them that isn't dangerous. So that's why I'm picking them as well.
1: Man, football, I've had so much
0: fun with you guys, though. The football so loving fun.
1: side of me would love to see Brazil win just because it's been 20 years since that football mad nation lifted that trophy and what it would mm-hmm. mean to see the scenes on the streets, especially given their political situation with COVID Mm -hmm. and everything. I, I I am rooting for that possibility as well. Yeah. It'd be a fairy tale for them 20 years on.
2: This could be the closest thing to that traditional Hogo bonito, beautiful style from 2002 that we've seen since then. Like it's really like that. It's Oh gosh, the only way that you can make this squad not threatening is by putting William in it.
0: (laughs) Oh no, I have another way you can make it not threatening (laughs) starting Fred.
2: Dude, he gets too much hate. He gets too much disrespect.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough.
2: I re- respect Fred. That man has been <laughs> That man has been Manchester United's player of the season. Respect that man.
1: I don't know about saying a lot, but yeah,
0: respect Fred. <laughs> Wait, that's so <laughs> true. Oh, I mean, yeah. We could spend another time, you know, on this podcast just talking about the EPL and just how interesting Manchester United is, have been but anyway this has been so much fun with you guys I've, I've really enjoyed talking about world cup stuff with you guys and i think we should plan to do this again before the tournament maybe in a couple months for sure 100 this is a good time but for now thanks so much will for joining us thanks so much albert for being back and thanks so much for all the listeners we'll catch you guys next time peace